in today's show, we're talking NBA draft with Maxwell Bornbach of No Ceilings NBA. We're going to be talking Kaysen Wallace, Keontae George, Bobby Clintman, Ben Shepard, Jordan Miller. It's all coming up. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball, on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free. We are available on all platforms. So doing some draft stuff today, tomorrow, got a mock draft coming, my second mock draft coming. Uh, either Friday or Saturday. So be on the lookout for that. We did a Phoenix Suns review yesterday. We've got the Knicks and the Sixers coming up soon as well. The NBA Finals are starting today. I'm recording this a day before. My official pick is Nuggets in five, although I do not feel very confident about that. I feel confident the Nuggets are going to win, um, but could be a six or a seven. Uh, I think five. Uh, yeah, I just I just think they're better, but who knows? This Miami Heat team has been unbelievable. So we're going to see what goes down here, and I am not ruling that out. I'm not ruling out Miami winning. I'm not ruling out this going to seven whatsoever, but I am going with Nuggets in five um, for that uh, for that selection. Yeah. Um, talked a little bit on the Sun Show about Nick Nurse going to Philadelphia. We'll talk more about that when I do the Sixers um, season preview or season review, sorry, stuff. And there'll be obviously way more on that when we get to the um, season preview stuff in September when we know what the roster looks like, which ends up being a little bit more important, I think, in that type of scenario. So I am uh, waffling a little bit. We are going to get Maxwell to come in here and talk some NBA draft. So let's get him in. All right, here he is. Maxwell Bornbach, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited to talk draft and uh, and get into the nitty gritty with what we think some of these teams could do and what some of these players can be. Yeah, it's exciting time. We're a few weeks away from the NBA draft now as we're starting to dial in on these prospects. Some things still happening in the world of draft prospects as Bilal Kulabali goes bananas in today's uh, today's game. So we'll see what that does to his stock or perceived stock throughout the, throughout the NBA world after that big performance from him. But I want to talk a couple of things first, but I do want to give a shout out to you guys because a lot of the No Ceilings guys have been on this show so far and you guys released your draft guide yesterday. I went and bought it immediately, but because I'm old and don't want to be sitting and scrolling PDFs on my phone the whole time, I decided I'm going to get it printed and I'm going to get it turned into a real book. So look at that. There it is. A hundred and something pages of a NBA draft guide that I printed out. Yeah, I could have done it in color. I didn't want to spend that much money on it, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's all here. So now I've got your 130 page NBA draft guide that I printed out. So I've got a handy reference there. I've still got the digital copy because I'm not completely um, completely old and past it, but I printed it out and it looks great. So you guys did a great job with that. Yeah, it was. it's something that we're really proud of. I, I know last year we put one out and this year we really wanted to, to kind of double up on the amount of content that we wanted to put on in it. We wanted to have it be more informative, but still stay really accessible. So if you're not like a sicko who's knee deep in the weeds, it's going to have information, but it's got some really cool advanced numbers. Thanks from our partners at Synergy. Uh, so there's still a lot of really cool, interesting stuff that you may not be aware of, even if you are really deep in the weeds in the draft. So it's got something for everybody. And I'm just really proud of the work that our whole team put into it, especially like Nick Gagar Johnson doing the editing, Corey Tullibo with the artwork, 
Tyler Rucker getting some of those shot charts in there at the last minute. So just shout out to the whole team on that one. Yeah, it's awesome. I do encourage you guys to go and get that and grab some, uh, getting some written stuff and support the guys who do so much work on the NBA draft. Now, Maxwell, I'm going to ask you a question I'm asking everyone who's coming on. Mm -hmm. Top five picks in the draft. We've got Spurs, Hornets, Blazers, Rockets, and Pistons is the top five. So what would you do? Mm -hmm. Those five picks. Yeah, San Antonio number one pick. I'm going with uh, Drew Timmy from Gonzaga. No, I'm going. I'm going. I'm going to Victor Wembanyama number one there. Uh, number two is Charlotte. I would actually go Scoot Henderson. I think that's going a little bit against the grain with the way that the the discussion is going. I think he's just a little bit better at the star player stuff than Brandon Miller. He's a be- he's better at the rim. He's a be- better pull up shooter. It's not to say Miller can't get there. Um, but I think it's just going to be an easier transition for Scoot. I think Miller's got a really safe floor. I like him a lot. I just think the really high-end upside stuff, usually guys are a little bit smoother, a little bit stronger at that same age when they when they reach those kind of outcomes. So I would take Miller with the third pick, though, for Portland. I think he's a great fit there. I think he's a little more stable and fundamentally sound than somebody like Shaden Sharp, and I think they would really balance each other out as wings for that young core. Uh, with Houston, with Ime Adoka in charge, I'd actually roll the dice and go with Men Thompson here. I think that if he's in a system where he can kind of set up those shooters, Jabari Smith, uh, Jalen Green, um, some of the two-man game stuff he could do with Alper and Shengun, I think that's a really interesting dynamic fit. And I think that with him and Tari Eason, some of the stuff you'd get defensively out of that group could be really interesting. But I think Adoka can hold him accountable and get a lot out of him. And with Detroit, I would go with Cam Whitmore. Um, I think that what he brings is a complementary piece next to somebody like Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. They're going to be more on the ball. So the fact that his handle isn't all the way there, his passing isn't all the way there yet, that's fine. He can attack the rim violently. He can catch and shoot threes, and he can defend up and down the positional spectrum. That's what he'd be asked to do in Detroit. I think it'd be a great fit. So what's really interesting is you talked about pick number two and saying you're going against the grain. There have been more people who have come on my show who have put Brandon Miller at four than have put him at two. Really? Okay. I I feel like I've seen so much stuff now where he's at two and like – I, I'm just not all the way there yet. I think what it is is a lot of people who go, I'm predicting what's going to happen based on you know reports from GMs and all mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And they go, well, Fitz going to make the Hornets do that. And I, I tend to think that Miller probably will go to, but I also tend, not tend, I 100% disagree that is the direction they should go. And that's basically everyone who's come on and said, you know, I think they're going to take Miller, but I wouldn't. I would just take Scoot. And so everyone's thinking it should be it should be Scoot, but also thinking that it will be Miller. It's a really weird situation um, with that pick. And it's going to be intriguing to see which direction that they do go in. Now, let's, uh, let's get into some players. Um, we're going to start as we do always, on the well, not start because we just had a five-minute segment on something else. But we are going to start by talking the individual players now, and on player a player that you are a little bit higher on the consensus. And I'm really interested in this guy. <laughs> it is Kaysen Wallace from Kentucky. Now we have seen for many many years that guards of Kentucky can often do a lot more in the NBA than they do in college. It's happened with the manual quickly of recent times, Devin Booker, um, Tyrese Maxey. I'm sure there's about five other, and then there's and there's other ones who have been bad, but there's also been plenty of those guys who have stepped up and, and uh, like, you know, Ty Washington didn't show a huge amount last season. We're not writing him off, but Wallace is an interesting guy. At the moment, I am thinking about moving him up a little bit on my board. He's a 19-year-old point guard, 6'4", draft range, through all the mocks I've looked at, eight to thirteen, which I don't think is escaping the lottery. I don't. I wouldn't let him out of the top ten personally. The shooting numbers aren't spectacular. The usage wasn't super high, but again, the defense is great. The wingspan's really good, and I think again the usage stuff and the Kentucky scheme plays a large part in some of the dep- not depreciation, the depression of some of those offensive numbers. Do you? How much do you factor the Calipari Kentucky guard? 
corollary. I don't know if that's the right word. How much yeah. do you factor yeah. that in when you're looking at it? Not as much as with guys in years past. I think this okay. year with Kaysen, it it was definitely a factor more early in the year. So early in the year, they were playing him and Savier Wheeler together at points. Um, by the end of the season, they modernized the lineup a little bit. And by that, I mean, they played like two wing shooters. <laughs> and that was yep. it. So he, he still didn't have the most dynamic role men in terms of Jacob Toppin, who can get up and dunk, but is really skinny. And then Oscar Shibwe, who's more of just like a, a post up. I get my putbacks and that's how I score kind of thing. Um, I do think with Kaysen, what makes him more interesting is that he had some nagging injuries throughout the year. Um, and namely an injury to his back. And when he had the back injury, his shooting started to decline, but his playmaking really came along. You could see him kind of shift and play a bit more of a cerebral game because he kind of wasn't all the way there athletically. Um, so I do think there is more than he got to show in terms of what he can do as a scorer, even though he still grades out pretty efficiently at the end of the day. He was good at the rim, good at the mid-range. His, his steal numbers are great, and that's always a great indicator for NBA. No, not NBA success, but it's not always that that yeah. player becomes a good NBA defender or good NBA steals guy, but a guy that gets good steals in college as a guard in particular – often translates to be a good NBA player. Donovan Mitchell had an extremely high steal number in college. His steal number has dropped in the NBA, but that sort of thing mm -hmm. often, weirdly, just translates to success as a general rule. So that's a big positive here. The thing I look at as a little bit worrying is the low free throw attempts. Like that is a pretty low free throw rate under yeah. like 22%. He only took two per game. He hit him at 76%. Is that back injury related? Is that scheme related? Is that an inability to drive? Yeah. Finish? Like, what's, what's the issue there? I, I think that is where scheme comes into play a little bit because with Toppin, Lanceware, and Shibwe, which were their kind of three bigs, none of those guys really spaced the floor much. Like Toppin shot a respectable percentage from three, but I think he took like 1.2 per game off yep. the top of my head. It was a very low number. Um, Shibwe would occasionally take a mid-range jumper, but that's about it. So a lot of his game was meant to just kind of connect the dots on the perimeter. It was a lot of just skip passing, um, when he looks to penetrate, he basically looks to finish. Um, but he wasn't doing as much of that later in the year. So I think part of it is he had a cramped paint situation. So he probably didn't drive as much as he maybe would have in other situations. Didn't have a dynamic role threat with him. So yeah, the, the paint was just a little clogged and I think he probably stayed out of there a little bit more than he would otherwise, but I don't worry about his physicality at all. I, I do think he initiates takes and finishes through contact. The people are going to look at his numbers and go, well, you know, high steal numbers, low assists, bad shooting. Yeah, is he Patrick Beverly? Is he Marcus Smart? Is he Alex Caruso? Mm -hmm. um, I don't think those are any sort of accurate comparisons. But like, how do you, how do you like, not necessarily go against that? But what's what's the argument that yeah. no, there's there's different things to his game. Yeah, I think he did show a lot more offensively than a lot of those guys that you just mentioned. Like Caruso is one where like his block and steal rates are like in tandem with Caruso. So I think the way I look at it is kind of like, that's, I, th I think his floor um, because I do think he's a lot more offensively advanced than somebody at Caruso was. Caruso was a guy who like, I don't think ever scored more than 10 points per game in college and Kaysen's 19 and scoring 13 a game in uh, one of the best conferences in college basketball. Um, I think with the assist numbers um, context does come into play where they did have another pretty ball dominant garden. So your wheeler for part of the season. Um, so that does play a factor also. I do think he's just a much better scorer than he gets credit for. Like prior to the back injury, he was around 41% from three. He made 44% of his pull-up twos. When you look at the guards in this class, I think part of this is a function of college basketball being a lot older this year. Yep. A lot less guys have like the gaudy percentage of rim attempt numbers and rim finishing percentage this year. And Kaysen's is like comfortably ahead. 
of the other guards that are in the first round this year. So I, especially getting there unassisted. Uh, so I do think that he has like real three level scoring upside. And I think if he can marry his playmaking with his ability to get to the rim, like then, then you're really cooking. Then you're looking at a potential high level starter. So do you think that his NBA calling card is going to be defense or is it going to be offense? I think it's going to be defense. And I think the offense is fine if it doesn't get a lot better, but I do think there is a chance for him to be like a legitimate, like third or fourth option on a really good team um, because of the stuff that he can do as a pull-up scorer. So to me, there is a clear, there's a clear top eight in this class to me. And Kaysen sits at number nine in my recently mm-hmm. updated big board by recently. I mean, about 15 minutes ago, I did that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got him at number nine. Like, so where, do you have him higher than that? Is he in that group of top I eight? Ten. So you, yeah. okay, so you're in about the same area as me, but there are people who've got him mm-hmm. late lottery. Um, so in comparison, because the two guys I have out of my top eight, and just for reference, my top eight is Wembenyama, Scoot, the Thompsons, uh, Miller, Whitmore, Hendricks, and Walker. That's that's my top eight Mine guys. as well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then my next two are Kaysen Wallace and Anthony Black. So- Yep. Who would you take first out of those two? So I I lean Anthony Black just because of the size and just the the thing that's really encouraging about Anthony Black is like the shooting numbers, especially like the pull-up numbers, the off-the-catch numbers, they really favor Kaysen, even despite yep. like the giant tailspin that he had with the back injury. With Anthony Black, I think part of it is betting on him as a person because his measurements didn't come back great. Like he measured under six, six barefoot. He had like a six, eight wingspan, which is like the same as Kaysen. Yeah. Uh, I think he might actually have a smaller wingspan than Kaysen, but he's really tough. He's really strong. And just the intangible Intel kind of things we've heard about Anthony black are resoundingly positive. Um, and that's not to say we've heard anything negative about Kaysen, but I think the idea is if you can get this bigger, more aggressive option out of the two, and then the shot can just get to a place where it's okay. That's probably a better player than the, the optimum version of Kaysen Wallace. We're going to get to a player that you're a little bit lower on the consensus mm-hmm. in a sec. Before I do that, I've got to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by Fangio. Make a fast break to Fangio during the NBA playoffs because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. I had to check this because yesterday I was reading this ad for the first time. It was $2,500. I go, no way. But it is. It's true. It's $2,500. And with the NBA finals coming up, you can use that $2,500 in bonus bets too. Yeah. Do something great if your first bet doesn't win. The odds are out for the NBA Finals. The uh, Denver Nuggets are favored, minus 450 on FanDuel. The Heat are plus 330. That sort of fits into how I think it's going to go, but if you think something different, you can check it out. And there's many of interesting different parlays, like Jokic scoring 40-plus in any NBA Finals game is plus 140 over there on FanDuel as well. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel isn't the official sports betting partner of the NBA. Don't forget to gamble responsibly. All right. Let's... Um, Let's give a reality check. It's Keontae George, guard from Baylor. Mm -hmm. He is, again, like nearly everybody who potentially could go almost... Honestly, the first 19 guys could go in this draft. There might be two guys who aren't 19 in this draft. So he's 19. He's 6'4". I've seen him go as high as 7 in a draft. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but I have seen it in my... I think I've got 10 or 11 mock drafts, big boards that I'm collating data from. Out to 18. He... um, the shooting's bad. Like that's like those. Well, the shooting numbers are bad. Thirty-eight yeah, percent from the yeah. field, thirty-four percent from three. He had a huge usage at Baylor. He averaged nineteen points per thirty-six, one point four steals. But I'm just going to start with the, the efficiency. Like, is that is that shooting a red flag? For for me, it's 
the shots that he's taking more than the shooting itself, if that makes sense. Yep. So, um, shot selection. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because he can he can make shots like on unguarded catch and shoots. He's like hits like forty four percent of his unguarded catch and shoot threes. The issue is he loves to force shots. Like he, uh, the Dylan Brooks mentality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when he's cooking, like he's he's awesome. Like he can he can just go on an absolute heater and be unstoppable. Like there was a game against West Virginia this year where he dropped thirty two points and just everything was going in. Um, but conversely, there are games where it's not happening for him and he's still just looking to fire. So to me, it's more of an issue of like reeling in the shot selection because there's no reason he shouldn't be an efficient outside scorer. The inside scoring stuff is a little concerning to me. He is very strong um, when he gets downhill, um, but he probably played on one of the better spaced floors in college basketball this year, playing with LJ Cryer and Adam Flagler, who are both just like super high volume, high efficiency three-point shooters. Um, so the rim finishing stuff with him is kind of troubling. Like he just does not get up that well at the rim. Um, he had an ankle injury later in the year, which tank his percentage is a little bit, but he was still sub 40% prior to that. I, I just have a hard time seeing like the high end version of Keontae George, like the best case scenario being something that's like super, super valuable that I'm going to go out of my way to prioritize. Um, maybe you don't remember this off the top of your head, but maybe, mm. maybe I'm wrong and misremembering this, but compare and contrast his rim finishing with a guy from last year's draft, Blake Wesley, who really, really struggled with that in the NBA, summer league through college as well. How does yeah. Keontae fit with that? I think Keontae has a lot better touch than Blake Wesley. Um, I think with Wesley, it was like, he would get up to, he would get to the rim really fast. And then like, that was it. Like he could get there and then he, he couldn't really finish. Keontae, Keontae shifty. And I think that the fact that he is slimmed down gives me hope that like, maybe he'll get a little bit more bounce, but I don't, I don't think like his touch or anything is broken the way I felt like with Blake Wesley, where Wesley could get there, get a good look and still not convert it. And that to me is a little bit more troubling than like, with Keontae, it's just getting like slightly better angles to the rim, getting up a little bit easier. And maybe on a, an even more space floor in the NBA, that'll be easier. But yeah, I, I don't think he has a touch problem. What's what's his position? Like, is is he strictly a two? Is he is he strictly a point guard? Like, what is he yeah. just a combo guard? Like, where does he fit? Uh, yeah. So the name that like I know Corey Tullaba in our in our crew is like really high on him, and he compares him to Tyrese Maxey. Okay, is a guy like that's kind of the role. Um, a guy I've started to kind of think about him in the thing of is actually Gabe Vincent, right? Like Gabe Vincent is a guy who will occasionally take some really frustrating shots, and you're like, oh come on, man! But like when he gets hot, he can he can really get cooking. Um, and with Keontae, like that's that's how it goes just in general too. But I think he's got a couple things going for him. One of them is that he's he's pretty savvy when he wants to be as far as how he gets to his spots. Like he's really good at using ball screens in different ways, whether it's rejecting them reusing a screen splitting it like he's he's pretty creative in how he gets where he gets it's just like the execution is always a little bit off um whether it's pass playment the, the shot that he ends up taking like he he's just got it he, he feel he plays more raw than he probably should it's for, he's 19 as well so that's something that can yeah, may, yeah. maybe be tidied up but the area of the draft that he's likely to go in there's a bunch of guards in that area we talked about case and wallace and anthony black but there's grady dick Potentially Bryce Sensible goes in that area. There's Kobe Bufkin, Nick Smith, maybe Jordan Hawkins, Jalen Hood, Shafino, Jet, Jet Howard's been discussed. There's been there's probably ten guys who've been discussed between like twelve to eighteen in that sort of an area. Mm -hmm. So you're a little bit lower on him. Is he not a lottery guy to you? Are you prioritizing most of those other guys ahead of you? 
Yeah, I'd say the one guy I'm not is Nick Smith. Um, okay. <laughs> but, Fair enough. but other than that, I yeah, I I've, I'm pretty low on him. Like I'd I'd much rather swing on a Valal Kula Valley. Oh, I'd much rather swing on a date on a uh, a Derek Lively, a Leonard Miller, even. Yep. Like if if I'm I don't know. Like it's just the best case scenario of a six foot four guy who doesn't really get up at the rim is and is an inconsistent passer. It's it's just a tough sell for me. Like I would just I would almost rather swing and miss on somebody that has some size, um, in, in a little bit. You know, consi- maybe they're not the same shooter in an empty gym that he is, but they'll take better ones in a game and ca- and convert a higher percentage. Interesting you say those names. I, I both I have Lively and Leonard Miller both ahead of him, and I've got him one spot ahead of Kulabali at the moment, and one spot behind Grady Dick. And that's sort of one of the things I've been looking at. Like, where does he fit there? Like, Dick obviously a great shooter, but I'm not really sure what else is going to happen with his game and what else can he provide in that area. So I'm debating him there. I've got Keontae currently at 15, so outside the lottery, and that seems like it's probably a little bit in line with where you're positioning him. And uh, definitely not looking at that top end of the range at, at pick number seven, which I can't remember which mock draft that was it had in there. But I it think is. it was a no. Ceilings mock draft. It was, was Albert it? who took him there for the Pacers. I'm oh, it was. Sure. You're right. It was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. 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 Albert, him and Corey are big. They're they're big on Keontae. Uh, Albert's coming on I later in the week, so I'm gonna <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him about that when we uh, when we get to him <laughs> later this week. Let's talk about a guy who I don't know. We hadn't. I didn't really heard much about this guy until a few weeks ago, and now his name is sort of all over the place in terms of some mock drafts don't have him in the top 60 which is pretty wild but some have him in the top 15 and it's Bobby Clintman of Wake Forest 20 years of age plays he's Swedish plays for the Swedish national team the numbers honestly you look at the numbers nigga, what, what are we doing like these numbers are ridiculously bad in terms of just pure straight college production he averaged what did he, five points per game? Like that's nine. That those numbers on the screen are per thirty-six minutes. He averaged five points mm-hmm. per game. He shot thirty-seven percent from three. That's fine, but you know, four rebounds, 0.8 assists, 0.6 blocks. He's a six-ten power forward. Um, but so why is he getting why is he getting this hype at the moment? Why is he pushing up into the top twenty? Is it just like man, look at him. He's got some shooting touch. He's six-ten. He's big. Um, yeah, is is that it, or is there something more? Is there a reason the numbers were so bad? Yeah, so there there is a lot that goes into it. Part of it is what you mentioned. Like it is just sort of the mystery appeal of like six ten guy who can shoot and offer weak side room protection. Like that is at its core what you're hoping to get out of him. Um with Clintman, it's there is like a bigger context picture. So part of it yeah. is that I believe he was like six four until a little while ago. So he's a late growth spurt guy, which you look at guys like Trey Murphy, Jalen Williams, like it's almost kind of proven itself to be a bit of a market inefficiency. Like these guys that grow late and then like have this later development track. So that's part of it is that you're betting on the, you know, there being more to him there. The other thing was he put on a lot of size when he got to Wake Forest because he was really skinny. So he was adapting to this new body, his new height, his new size. And he did an interview with Stephen Gillespie for our site where he talked about kind of like figuring out that balance of like, how much bigger do I need to get? How do I do that while still being in shape? Like it was, it was a whole dance that he had to figure out. And it wasn't really until later in the year that he looked kind of fully comfortable with his body. Um, you can really see it on the defensive end in terms of how he moves. Like early on in the year, he could be a little bit clunky laterally at times. It was one of those, like, is he a, a four or five hybrid kind of guy? Cause he doesn't look great guarding down. And then by the end of the year, he was, he was figuring out how to slide with guys. Um, the last big selling point is that international play that you mentioned. So yeah. during the U20 Euro Championship games, oh, I was just going to bring this up. These numbers are insane. We didn't, 
yes, we ran a bunch of the offense through him, uh, and he averaged 5.1 assists to 2.9 turnovers. Mm-hmm. So there's some real legitimate passing feel in there, too. And at Wake this year, he was, like, strictly a play finisher. Like, they played through Tyree Appleby, who is basically, I, I believe, a six-year guy. And then they have Hildreth, who's uh, from the U.K., really interesting player, probably not an NBA guy, but um, a, a really good combo guard. Uh, they had some good, like, finishing interior big men. So his role was just really small. It was basically just catch and shoot or, or cut, and that was it. So at the end of the day, you can talk yourself into, here's a guy who's six foot 10 late bloomer, can stroke it from three, can protect the rim, and there might be some untapped stuff with, like, playmaking, orchestrating at the top of the key, some handoff stuff where the defense can't sag on him because he might just turn and shoot. Like, the, it, it, if it all clicks, it's super interesting and super, super valuable. In those seven U20 games, he averaged 16, 10, and 5 with 2.6 steals. He got seven free throw attempts per game as well um, and blocked Mm -hmm. a shot. Like, they are crazy, crazy numbers. And you're right, the role is just 100% different as to what it was at Wake Forest. I think a lot of people are saying, well, this guy just was a completely different player. And we talk about him putting on bulk and playing as year four or five. I I would say, is there a chance he could go the other way and do the what Larry Markkinen's done and become, well, you know what? We thought you were always a four, yeah. maybe you're a five, but you know what you are? You're just, you're a wing. You're playing at the three, like as Markkinen's done the last two years, playing next to you know, Alinek and Kessler and Allen and uh, Mobley the year before. You're playing as a three, you, you're in these better pass than what Larry Markkinen probably is, but if you can show an ability to be deadly out there and run a little bit of offense, that that's an interesting part. I'm not saying he's Larry Markkinen, but we don't mm-hmm. have to go, well, you're 6'10", you necessarily have to play center because there is, with some of those skills, a chance to maybe play down a little bit as well. I, yeah, I think that's the ideal hope. And that was part of why I kind of backed off him early in the year because his, his pre-college tape was really intriguing. And then I didn't like how he was moving early in the year. And I was like, oh, if he's going to have to be a five, like I, I, just don't, I just don't think he's like the rebounder. I don't think he's the physical presence. I don't think he has the size. But him as a four, I think he's definitely a four. But I do think, to your point, I think in certain lineups, like you can play jumbo and yep. play him at the three, um, especially once everything kind of finishes in terms of his development. I think that's 100% something that's on the table for him. Let's go to a guy who is probably a second-round player, or almost certainly a second-round player, but his name has come up a lot recently. I think I first heard about him on one of your guys' podcasts. I think you had an interview with Ben Shepard on yep. uh, one of the, the No Ceilings shows. I can't remember which which of you guys brought him up. It was uh, me. Yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go. Um, and he's really gaining, gaining some steam at the moment. Big numbers in the, the combine as well. Six foot six, almost 22. He's probably a second-round guy, but you're 42% shooting from three. 28 usage playing for Belmont. Now, it is playing for Belmont. And that's a different yeah, different story. Like we saw Dylan Windler play for yeah. Belmont, put up huge numbers, and he's done literally nothing in the NBA across three seasons. Mm-hmm. Shepard's shooting is pretty real, though. Part of my question is always going to be, like, shooting's important. That's true, right? We know that that's true. What else? What What else is he yeah. doing? What else does he bring if, if the shot isn't there or doesn't hit at that same level? So I think it's a couple of things. I think one of the things I would mention is um in tandem with the shooting so he made like 46 percent of his non-stationary three so like yeah. whether it's coming off the screen transition whatever like he's lights out he actually shot the worst on this like sand like catch and shoot three so like if anything he probably should have shot a higher percentage but because of that movement he is really hard to ignore and he's a very good cutter he didn't really get to show it that much this year um but his junior season they had a really good table setting point guard they had a, a sort of pick and pop big man that opened up the paint and in that sort of lineup, he really shined as a cutter. So I think just the fact that he, even if he doesn't quite hit to the same level as a shooter, he's in really good shape. He's going to be able to move the whole game and offer a little bit of cutting. I think the next thing that he offers is his playmaking. 
um he had never like he basically never ran pick and roll ever like before this season if it happened it was just like emergency and a shot clock we got to set a ball screen for ben um this year he took on a lot bigger of a playmaking burden and he's gotten really creative and clever as a passer um there was a play in the combine where he made like almost like a sliding pass and transition to somebody. He's, he's got some real juice as a passer and pick and roll playmaker is like a second side guy. And then the last thing I think it was his defense. He actually defends down really well. If he's guarding twos and ones, he's going to do a really nice job. He made an all defense team in Missouri Valley this year, which again, not the greatest conference in the world, but I would again urge people to look at his junior year film where he had a little bit less offensive responsibility. There was a game where they played Vanderbilt and he, he held Scotty Pippen Jr. to one of his lowest scoring totals of the season and was just forcing him to make mistake after mistake. Like he he really, when he's in a lower usage role, is going to be able to key in on defense. And and I think he's got more to offer than he maybe showed this season, even though he made an all-defense team. So why do you think that he's, you know, in some mock drafts, not even drafted or is always going a second round guy? Because there's a bunch of players mm-hmm. who could go end of first round. I'm thinking like Colby Jones. I'm thinking to Quavion Smith. There's the early second round players, Sasser and Strouther and um, uh, who else? Amari uh, Bailey in that area. Um, so how does he, why is he sort of dragging behind some of those players then? Yeah, I think I think they have more perceived upside. And I think in a lot of cases, there is something to that. I, I've got him around 34 right now. I, I wouldn't hate a team taking him in the first, um, depending on how the board breaks. But he is a senior. He did play at a mid-major conference. That's always a, a scary, scary thing. Um, I think he he's also a late growth spurt guy. He was, I think part of the sales pitch with Ben too is that like he was 6'1 until his junior year of high school and he was like a non-shooter when he got to college. So he's got like this real strong track record of improving year over year, which is why I think I'm a little higher on him is I think he does have more untapped potential, but I think a lot of teams just see him as sort of a more of a finished product. Um, someone in the vein of like a Landry Shamit where it's like, Oh, this is just a, a guy who shoots and he's pretty good at it, but doesn't have a great body, not going to light the world on fire. So I think there's, there's just bigger swings that teams would be willing to take, especially in the first round. The early second round is going to be really intriguing. There's going to be tons of value, I, I think, in that area. And this is, you know, I've heard some people say this draft's not particularly strong, which seems crazy to me. To me, there is like, yeah, I don't agree with that. Like, <laughs> there's probably 45 top 25 players in this draft, I reckon. And as mm-hmm. I said to someone the other day, if someone gets picked at 26 and ends up being the 10th player in this draft, I wouldn't also be shocked there. There's just so many interesting players who have got these skills. And I know this is not always related, but I do, every year I look at the players' numbers and do fantasy translation ranks from their college stats. And often there's so many guys like, oh, well, you can see how it comes around, but he would translate to be the 300th best player based on these college numbers. And the good players at the top are 380th and 270th. These are all really bad numbers. And this year, it's like, no, everyone's 170th or better. Okay, that's yeah. this, is, this yeah. is crazy. Like, everyone's numbers are insane. Everyone's production's mm-hmm. insane. Everyone's positional versatility is really strong. And it's not like, well, here's a bunch of small point guards and non-mobile sensors. It's like, no, everyone's a wing who can play the two, the three, yeah. or the four and moves around and shoots and defends and can pass. It's like, all right, this is like the perfect thing that the NBA always values and it's going to be a really really intriguing and this and the other interesting thing to me in this draft is like it's sidetracked a bit is that at the end of the first round there's a bunch of lottery teams who have got picks there so they're going to get like and like honestly they're usually those teams who are really really strong but they don't have those picks anymore so it's the Pacers it's the Jazz it's the Hornets who get an extra crack at guys who in next year's draft might have been top 15 players and they get to uh, take a crack at them with another first round pick this year so it is a really really intriguing um uh, situation for this year's draft, I think, Maxwell. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I think there is, 
we're starting to find a weird balance and i'm trying to decide if it's just a result of like more players coming out early but it feels like there's a mix of yeah like these proven reliable guys like you mentioned marcus sasser earlier like i yeah. love marcus sasser i have like no doubt that he's going to carve out an nba role but then there's also like cd sissoko yeah where it's like okay this guy's pretty raw but there's like some dribble pass shoot stuff he's got a body he's got positional versatility he's got the size so it's like, well, do I want to roll on CD, who's a little bit more raw, or do I want Marcus Sasser, who's kind of the sure thing? Like, it, it just feels like this is a class with, like you said, just a ton of guys on it where redrafts are going to be really, really interesting. And yeah. I think that you mentioned, like, the Pacers, the, the Hornets, these teams that have those late firsts, like, they could send this draft on a completely different trajectory. Because if they want to go upside, they could. Or they might go, like, you know what, let's just get an adult in the room. Let's take... Chris Murray. Let's take Jaime Hawkes. Yep. And then all of a sudden, like these kind of high upside guys are falling to some of these playoff teams that are picking early in the second round, like Boston. Like yeah, it's there's so many different ways it can it can play out this year. Uh, it's it is one of the best drafts that I've seen, obviously, in recent times. We've got one player to talk about. And this guy's I don't know if confusing is the right word, but there are a million players called Miller in this draft. There's about five <laughs> players called Jordan, and he's just gonna combine mm-hmm. them both. It's Jordan Miller. From Miami, six foot seven. He is older. He's twenty three. Shot thirty five percent from three as a shooting guard, but had an amazing sixty two percent true shooting. He um, averaged six rebounds, sixteen points per thirty six. The three point shooting numbers aren't super super strong, but fifty five percent overall from the field indicates to me there's something else going on there with his numbers. So we talk about these older players who I do think will slide in a lot of situations in that second round. I think he's going to be one of them, mm-hmm. but. There's obviously some... Miami went super far in the tournament as well. There's something about that and that level of efficiency that piques my interest. For sure. Yeah, he's he's really smart and he's really tough are like the two things that Jordan Miller is going for. Him. And he's really strong too. It's not just a, a toughness with a frame you can't do anything with. He can use it. Uh, so he is an exceptional cutter, really smart player just in terms of his timing and he can move the ball really well too. Like he is a smart passer. He knows where everybody is on the floor at all times. Um, I do have some concerns with him in terms of next level translation because his game is so dependent on finishing at the rim that it's a little harder to get to the rim if, if teams aren't going to respect you from the outside. Um, his three point volume it was like four point one per hundred possessions. And if you look at guys who've been drafted that are like under six eight that shoot threes at a lower volume than that it's a pretty spotty track record it's a lot of guys that didn't pan out um and that's the kind of the thing that scares me with them i know they're not exactly the same player but a guy that i look at who can be very efficient and is a solid enough rebounding guard at a similar sort of size who was a upperclassman in college is josh hart yeah not the best Mm -hmm. three-point shooter not a high volume three-point shooter but seems to just get stuff done um not saying that they're the same sort of play, but there are a few similarities in their length in college, success in college, success team success in college, as well as well as that lower volume from three, and you're known for toughness and doing the right thing and strength and all that sort of stuff. Like, is there any is there any validity to that sort of comparison? Um, Josh Hart, his three point volume was a lot higher. Yeah. I think like that's the big differentiator for me is that with Jordan Miller, like he doesn't take a lot of threes and he's got a really slow release. Like he really takes his time and aims that shot, even when there is a hand in his face. And at the combine, he was not eager to shoot. And I thought the other thing that stood out at the combine is he's not that great of an athlete. Like he's, he's very savvy and he's really strong, but there were times where it seemed like he wasn't able to get to a spot and he seemed kind of thrown off and confused by it. a couple of like weird. I'm picking up my dribble. It kind of in the, right off the side of the elbow kind of plays where it's like that's not something that you do on an NBA court but 
he, he was kind of having to resort to it because he, he seemed a little flustered by the, the the levels of athleticism around him. But at the same time, he ended up like stuffing the stat sheet in both of those games. So maybe there is more translation that I'm giving it credit for. Um, but I just think the the athleticism translation and the lack of shot just it, it's I, I can't quite get there. But at the same time, this is a guy that if the shot is real, he does a little bit of everything, and then he's a guy that you know is a seventh or eighth man on a playoff team. Yeah. Exactly, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, well, this shouldn't work, and it doesn't look like it's working, but it ends up working. And those are always those players. Mm-hmm. There's got to be something else that's going on uh, with that group. Who do you think is going to be the better NBA prospect between him and his uh, college teammate, Isaiah Wong? I would, I would probably rather swing on Jordan Miller. I think Isaiah Wong might have like a longer career, but it's just so hard for smaller guards nowadays that, I don't know, like you've got to be really, really great. And I think Wong is also a very smart player he really figured out how to play at different speeds use his craft to get where he wants on the floor night and day improvements as a playmaker for others but with jordan miller just having this the sheer size that he does if i'm gonna miss i'd rather miss on on the size because like i said like the upside for him is is a guy who can be a difference maker in playoff games and i don't even know if the the best version of Wong is that i, I think Wong profiles more like a regular season guy that'll do it for us, Maxwell, thank you for coming on, chatting about all those prospects. Again, remember the No Ceilings Draft Guide is out. There's links on all of your Twitter accounts and over at the No Ceilings site to go ahead and, and grab that. Maxwell, tell me what else you got cooking over at No Ceilings. Yeah, we've got a ton going on. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to start to put out team previews, previewing what we think teams' needs are for the draft. And we're hitting all the big names again. We're going to do another Victor piece, Scoot. All the big names, we're, we're hitting them again one more time before the end of the draft. So Check us out, noceilingsnba.com. Subscribe to the Substack. Get it right in your email inbox every day. Subscribe to our podcast feed, the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. We're, we're making content for you every day, and we're putting a lot of work into it, so stay tuned. Thank you again, Maxwell, for coming on, and uh, best of luck heading up to the draft. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And that will do it for me today. Don't forget, follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. And on YouTube, thumb it up. Leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.